assume. Why? Because you don't know what's in someone else's heart. And I don't know what's in someone else's heart. I mean, let's be honest. We don't even know what's in our own hearts, right? Our Bibles tell us that our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then it says, well, the Lord knows it. He searches the heart. He, so I don't even know what's in my own heart. You don't know what's in your heart. And we definitely don't know what's in someone else's heart. So instead of assuming their motive, we should ask. We're constantly analyzing the world around us, trying to make sense of it so we can maintain some control of our lives. However, in today's teaching, Pastor Daniel warns you to fight against making assumptions about other people's motives. Instead, he encourages you to ask them what's behind the choices they're making. Pastor Daniel shares that seeking to understand others is a good starting point for your interactions. Here's Pastor Daniel in Numbers chapter 32 as he continues his message, Living on the East Side. And the problem for the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh is literally that they're in the land and they just conquered this land and they're like, this land suits my needs. It's a land for livestock, and we have livestock. Now, you know what the problem with making a decision that suits my needs is? It does not take into account what God wants to do. All it takes into account is, this is my limited understanding of who I am and where I am and what I'm doing. And God's like, no, no, no. I got all sorts of other things for you. Like, it's good for you right now, but I see your entire life and there are things you don't even understand about yourself yet. And there's things that I want to do in your life that if you limit your decisions to what you understand about your life, it will never be, this is the life that God has. I mean, I look at my own life and I don't pat myself on the back. I had great, like my pastor and people came alongside, just take the step of faith. I would have been content just being a bass player. I'd have a blast touring, just playing the bass, playing the upright. I love playing the bass. It's super fun, you know? But God had a whole other world for me, a whole other thing that he wanted to do that I'm like, well, I'm a bass player. I've always wanted to be a bass player ever since I saw Nikki Six and Motley Crue. You know, I'm like, yeah, I want to be that guy, you know? You know, he had this big hair and he had football under eye makeup and he played this crazy bass. And I'm like, yeah, you know? And it's like, and I was very content to be a bass player. And what I realized is that God had given me the gift of music, but if I would have just played bass as a career, then I was on the east side of the promised land. God could have used it, but I wasn't stepping into what God had created me for. That I didn't even understand at that point. And finally, I took a step of faith, and all of a sudden, something opened up. I'm like, whoa, and then I took another step of faith, took another step of faith. And I just want to encourage you to trust God and take the step of faith into the promised land. Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh were walking by sight. They saw a land that was good for livestock. They had a lot of livestock. This looks like a good spot. Now, what they don't realize, of course, is that when trouble's going to come for the children of Israel, it's almost always going to come from the east, and they're always going to be the first one wiped out. 
See, they're short-sighted. They don't realize all that's going on. And again, that's our problem, is that we have a limited scope, a limited set of understanding. So really what we have is this land on the east side, it was given as a gift by God. It was won by conquest, but it wasn't actually the inheritance that God wanted for them. Because we're going to find in the coming weeks when he gives them the border of the land that he's given them, it's going to be everything to the west of the Jordan River. So the land that he has given them by inheritance is actually the west side. But they want to be on the east side. But it's interesting. They go, they go to Moses, to Eliezer the priest, and the leaders of the congregation, they make their request. Like, look, all these cities, we want to live there. We don't want to go over the Jordan. Let us take this as our inheritance, as our possession. Now, look at how Moses responds. And Moses understands the dilemma, because look what he says in verse 6. He says, And Moses said to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Now, why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? Thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eshkol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's Anger was aroused that day, and he swore by an oath, saying, Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and above shall see the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. So the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation had done evil and the sight of the Lord was gone. And look, you have risen up in your father's place a brood of sinful men to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness and you will destroy all these people. Now, Moses responds in anger. This is what you could call a flashpoint for Moses, right? They're on the precipice of the promised land. And don't miss the fact that Moses isn't allowed to go into the promised land either. So like, this is a gift that even Moses isn't allowed to partake of. And he gets upset. He says, shall your brethren go to war while you just sit here? Now, you realize that Moses is ascribing motive, in a sense, to Reuben and Gad. And by the end of the chapter, we're going to find also to the half-tribe of Manasseh. He's ascribing motive. He's saying, look, you guys don't want to go to war with your brother. You want to sit here. Now, we don't know for sure if that was their motive or not, right? And we're going to find as they respond to Moses, they're like, no, 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 Moses or says, or whatever their nickname was for him, you know? They're like, no, that's not where we're coming from. But we don't know. Now, here's the thing. When it comes to motive, I want to encourage you, always ask, don't assume. Always ask, don't assume. Why? Because you don't know what's in someone else's heart, and I don't know what's in someone else's heart. I mean, let's be honest. We don't even know what's in our own hearts, right? 
Our Bibles tell us that our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And it says, well, the Lord knows it. He searches the heart. And he, so I don't even know what's in my own heart. You don't know what's in your heart. And we definitely don't know what's in someone else's heart. So instead of assuming their motive, we should ask. And you kind of see that in Moses because he right away assumes a malicious motive in their life. And so I want to encourage you, don't assume somebody's motive. Ask them what their motive is. If somebody is doing something and you don't understand it or you think that they're automatically, they have some nefarious plan, you should just ask them. And if you, for those of you who are married, you're going to thank me for this because when you're married and you're living in close quarters with a, another person, what you find is that it's very easy, especially if there's water under that bridge, you could assume all sorts of things. You have all this history of, oh, this is how you are and all that stuff. But oftentimes we assume people's motives wrong. Why? Because we're always looking for the worst in people and we're always assuming the best about ourselves. That's what we do. That's the human condition. Can I get a, a sorry amen? Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's what I love about the Bible. The Bible m reminds you that we have a tendency to always give ourselves the benefit of the doubt and always assume that everybody is the worst possible version of themselves. So don't assume you understand someone's motive. Just ask. Because if you ask somebody what their motivations are, you know what's amazing is they'll tell you if their motives are lousy and they own that, they'll apologize for it, which is a really good thing. And if their motives aren't nefarious, they'll be like, no, this is what I was trying to do. You're like, oh, oh, that makes some more sense. And we all make the Moses mistake here of assuming we understand what's in someone's heart, but we don't know. We really don't know. God knows. Even the person doesn't really know. So we should ask. Now, notice Moses' concern in verse 7. Now, why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? What we learn here is that complacency is contagious. Complacency is contagious. And so he's saying, look, because you don't want to go over the Jordan and you want to settle on the east side and you're going to discourage, your complacency is going to now make everybody else complacent. You're just going to discourage. And listen, you realize that like each one of us is reproducing ourselves spiritually in the people around us. I told you this. My pastor, used to, he said it to me before I left to go plant the church in New Jersey. He said, Daniel, I have one thing you need to realize. You're going to reproduce yourself spiritually in the life of the congregation you pastor. Don't mess that up. I was like, well, that's really, thank you, pastor. I'll take my leave now, you know. But guess what? That's a universal truth for all of us. You are reproducing yourself spiritually in the lives of the people who are around you. In the sphere of influence, in your family, in the midst of your friends, the people on the job. If you are complacent, they will become complacent. If you are passionate, they will become passionate. Our lives are contagious. Now you got to ask yourself, what disease are you giving off? Is your life and lifestyle promoting a spiritual complacency? Or is it promoting a spiritual fervency? See, Moses' concern is that they are right about to go into the promised land and the complacency of Gad and Reuben and as we find by the end of the chapter, the half-tribe of Manasseh is going to be in there as well, that it's going to become a cancer in the life of the children of Israel. And Moses is so concerned about that that he actually reminds them 
why all their parents died in the wilderness. He rehearses their history. Look what it says in verse eight. Thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eskol and saw the land, verse nine, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. Remember, that was in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. Remember? 38 years earlier, Moses was there with the men who were the elders or the leaders of the clans. He said, listen, we're going to send 12 spies into the promised land. And they're going to spy out the land and they're going to come back and they're going to bring me a report. They went on back. They brought back some of the fruit of the trees and the grapes were so big it took two guys and a pole. I mean, talk about like elephantitis of the fruit. It was like huge grape. It was before miracle Grow and all sorts of evil plant steroids and stuff, but it was like a big fruit. And they came on back. You remember what happened? Out of the 12 spies, 10 of them said, listen, it's a good land, but we're going to get crushed in there. The cities are huge. We are too small. We can't do it. And two men, Caleb and Joshua said, no, 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 listen, it is a good land. And yes, there are big cities, but the Lord is with us. Now, at that point, The children of Israel were at a crossroads. If they followed the counsel of Caleb and Joshua, they would have entered the promised land 38 years earlier, right then, because God had promised them the land. But they chose to trust the counsel of people who didn't trust God. And they made their decision. And that entire generation died in the wilderness. And Moses is like, look, we had this happen already. We were about to go in. If they would have just it said, look, it's huge land. It's an amazing land. Look at this fruit. And there are big cities, but we trust in a God who's bigger than human might. Let's go take it. If the children would have done that, they would have went right in. And now Moses is like, look, we've been here already. This happened already. And he's concerned that what Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh are doing is the exact same thing. And he's concerned about them. Look what he says in verse 10. He says, So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day. And he swore an oath, saying, Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and above shall see the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have Holy followed the Lord. So the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel. He made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that has done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. And look, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness and you will destroy All these. He's saying to them, listen, you guys are a chip off the old block. You're just like your dads. Now listen, whatever your parents were or weren't, you have a new dad now. And we have to decide if we're going to be a chip off the old block of our physical parents or of our heavenly father. Now don't get me wrong. Not all of our parents were horrible, but some of your parents were horrible. Some of your parents just like, and if you're younger, you think your parents are horrible. They may not be right now. With time, you may realize that they weren't really so bad. But we have to decide who we're going to be like. And the beauty of following Jesus is that your heavenly father says, look, I want to teach you a more excellent way to live. And 
How many of us, as we've gotten older, find our parents coming out of us? Right? It's amazing. I remember I used to tell my dad, I'm never going to be like you. And now I say things to my kids. I'm like, wow, when did my dad take up residence in my life? Like that. Like, it's just like something. I'm like, whoa. And then I'll be like, you're so much like your dad right now. I'm like, come on. The lack of faith of your parents doesn't have to be your lack of faith. If your parents were spiritually vibrant, just because they were doesn't mean that you're going to be. Like, you know what I'm saying? And so he's really, Moses saying to him, listen, you're at a crossroads again. Right now, you're just being like your fathers who all died in the wilderness. And if you make their decision, we're all going to die. You're all going to die in the wilderness too. Or you can follow the Lord. And if you follow the Lord, the Lord is going to bring you into this promised land. And my friends, I believe all of us are at that same crossroads. Like the Lord is saying, look, I want to take you somewhere where you've never been. And maybe your parents didn't do it, or maybe your friends aren't doing it, but I want to take you in. Will you follow me? And that's why as a church, we talk about simply responding to Jesus, right? That's our mission. And I love that. I was just talking to a, a guy today in Nashville. I was on a conference call, and he's like, he's like, so what's the mission of crossroads? I'm like, simply responding to Jesus. He's like, oh, that's really good. And we started talking. He's like, man, he's like, that's, that's, that's about a life of worship. That's about, I'm like, yeah, and all of our lives are created to be worshiped, not just singing songs. All, we live lives of worship. And worship is simply, we're responding to the rhythms of God's grace. We're responding to the rhythms of God's mercy. We're responding to the rhythms of God's majesty and God's wisdom and God's forgiveness. And we live our lives responding to that. And just like the children of Israel, we're all standing there right now. Will you respond to Jesus? Will you respond to the promptings of his spirit to say, listen, I want you to stop doing that. And I want you to start doing this. I want you to step over the Jordan into the promised land, into the life that I created you and recreate and I'm recreating you for. Or are you just kind of stuck? Most of us don't think about this moment as the most critical moment of our lives. But truly at every moment it is, isn't it? Because the victories of yesterday do not ensure victories today. The crushing defeats of yesterday does not ensure a crushing defeat of today. How often in the Bible do you find someone have a great, phenomenal victory and then the next moment crash and burn pretty good? One of my favorite ones of those, and I think God called Peter to be an apostle just to encourage people like me. Remember in Matthew's gospel, Jesus asked them, was it Matthew 16? Who do men say that I am? You say, some said this, some said this, Elijah the prophet. Well, who do you say that I am? And Peter probably said, man, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he's like, Petey, my boy. You know, he doesn't say that, but it's like, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father in heaven has revealed this to you. I mean, he's like, Peter, God told you that. And you can imagine Peter being like, yeah, I'm a prophet. God's speaking to me. Looking at Andrew and James and John, be like, ha suckers, you know? I'm Jesus' favorite. You didn't think I was going to say sucker in the pulpit, did you? Sorry. <laughs> but I'm embellishing on the story, right? But then what happens next? Because they realize he's the Christ, he's like, now listen, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed, and he's going to be beaten, he's going to be crucified. And he's going to be, he's going to raise from the dead on the third day. And Peter's like, whoa, 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 Jesus, Jesus, come on, dude. It ain't going to happen for you like that. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. 
You're not mindful of the ways of God. Like, God told you, and he's like, now you're a tempter. You're deceiving. Peter was just the man, and he went from being the man to the goat in a New York minute. Because just because you got something right doesn't mean you're going to get the next thing right. And we have to embrace every moment as an important moment in our lives. Because how many of us, you have something great that goes on in the next minute, it's bad. I mean, what about the disciples? Remember when Peter, James, and John followed Jesus up onto the Mount of Transfiguration, saw his essential glory turned outward, and they're like, man, they're the only ones, you're never going to believe what happened. And they go down, there's a demon-possessed kid, and they can't cast it out. Yesterday's victory will not ensure tomorrow's victory or today's victory. Every day, we need to step up to the plate. And so make sure, make sure that you are following Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. We are people who follow on the heels of Jesus. And you may have followed Jesus yesterday. It doesn't mean you're going to be following him today. And that's true for me as well. I'm not preaching down on anyone. I'm living this too. I realize I'm one bad decision away from mailing it all in. And that bad decision can happen at any moment. And so we need to take the moments seriously. Now, from there, look what happens in verse 16. Then they came near to him and said, we will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones, but we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the children of Israel until we brought them to their place and our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel have received his inheritance for we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond because our inheritance has fallen to us on the eastern side of the Jordan. So really what they say is they give Moses an assurance. They speak to his objections. They say, look, we're going to build sheepfolds here so we can keep our livestock, but we're going to go on in with you, and we're going to fight for the children of Israel. They're saying, listen, we're not just going to be lazy and hang out here. We're, although we want to live here, we're going to go in with the people and we're going to fight the battles that's in front of them. Now, what I love about this, and again, if you read commentaries, people are like, oh, well, they're just assuaging Moses' concerns and their heart's not really there. And again, I don't want to ascribe motive. I don't really know. But one of the things I do like is they say, listen, even though we might not fight battles, we're going to go fight with our family. When was the last time you knew of a brother or sister who was going through something and even though it wasn't your battle, you chose to go in and join them. You know what that's called, my friends? It's called fellowship. Fellowship is when you see in someone else's struggle, your own struggle, and you choose to join them in. Jesus is Thanks for staying with us today as Pastor Daniel invited you to consider how you can join others in their personal battles and fight alongside them. As you continued your study of numbers, you saw that Reuben, Dan, and the half-tribe of Manasseh promised to join the rest of the Israelites in their fight for the Promised Land. This was a good reminder that you can come alongside people in their struggles and make their battle your own. Everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, 
and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when you'll learn that you have a choice in how you live. Pastor Daniel will share that the decisions you make are up to you. You decide how you're going to respond to God. Will you say yes to Him and enter into what He has for you? Or will you stay where it's known and comfortable? Pastor Daniel will urge you not to settle for good enough, but to step into the bigger, fuller life God has for you. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Preparation. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.